0: Hey Cinecasters, before we get started today, I just wanted to tell you about a little competition we'll be running this week, courtesy of our pals at UK Criterion. A couple of weeks ago in our Bottle Rocket episode, I mentioned that we may be able to work out something to give you guys a chance to win one of their lovely, lovely films. And well, hey, it actually worked out. So starting this week, we're giving away one of Wes Anderson's films on Blu-ray, courtesy of the UK Criterion Collection, on each Wes Anderson episode throughout the remainder of the Anderson vs. Anderson arc, apart from My All Of dogs which just isn't out on Criterion yet, and we'll also be giving away one Paul Thomas Anderson film in a couple of weeks. But first, kicking things off in the most spectacular of ways, we'll be giving away not one, but two Wes Anderson films in a bundle to one lucky winner those films being Bottle Rocket and Rushmore. To be in for a chance to win, pop us an email at com and tell us your favorite Wes Anderson film. We'll also be running this competition on At The PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram in the coming days. So increase your chances to win by keeping an eye out for that post when it drops and enter there too. This week's competition closes at 10 a.m. on Tuesday, the 22nd of June, 2021. Be sure to follow UK Criterion at UK Criterion on Twitter and head over to CriterionCollection.com for all the news of their latest releases. Good luck!
1: And on the cool chicken, in center stage on the mic, and we putting it on wax. It's the new Pachel Cinecast. <laughs> Not
0: bad, right? <laughs> you're you're set. It's the new style. Ready to there host this thing? Who needs yeah. me? You can just. I do just had yourself. to get out of
1: my. I just had to get out of my system because <laughs> I kept last week. I kept saying the new, and I was like, "What is that?" And I was like, "Oh, that's the new style that I keep doing." And I am like, let's just do the whole thing.
0: Okay. Yeah, because you, you do keep going. The new. <laughs> the new. <laughs> I can't tell if you're just doing that, like, wrestling thing. It's just like, and, and, and new. new. <laughs>
1: oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to change it to be like, yeah. and still.
0: <laughs> and still. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast. <laughs> I mean, it basically is. I don't know why we're like, I, I'm eventually just going to have to go and change everything back from the nah. new to just.
1: The podcast, I don't know about you, but every time someone asks about it, I'm like, Oh, yeah, the new podcast is going great, thank you for asking.
0: <laughs> it's like no one's asking, but like, I'm sure no,
1: no. people just be like, How are you? and I'll be like, The new podcast is going great, thank
0: you. They're really, What?
1: Yeah, the one. you have a podcast, yeah. yeah, I've only been doing it two years,
0: <laughs> yeah, no shade. Uh, welcome to the Pod Charles Cinecast, <laughs> the new Pod Charles This is your host Jonathan Foster. I am here today with my ooh, it's a little, it's a little schoolboy going back <laughs> to school. Prove to Danny that he's not a fool. It is Phil. How's it going, Phil?
1: Good. I'm uh, yeah. I should have I should have worn like a like a shirt and tie or something.
0: Yeah, I feel really underdressed.
1: Yeah, when I was in school. It just reminds me. I mean, you didn't. You you went cool in America. You didn't have this yeah, uniform we're not bullshit. Not lasers, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right,
0: <laughs> all right. Um, some schools in America would have that. You
1: know, uh, I mean, this yeah. was filmed
0: in America. They were at a prep cat, but, like academy, a,
1: so. but yeah. it's but like a preppy place. Here, it's like everywhere you go, yep. in fucking uniform. And I couldn't do my tie. Could I? Was a child. I had to wear one of those elastic ties. Do you remember those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I must have looked like a fucking idiot if I could step outside myself. I had an elastic tie and Velcro <laughs> shoes because I didn't know how to tie my shoes. Or just refused to. Yeah. So that's what I think of.
0: Now it's you when you're 18 years old. Just yeah, ready, exactly. ready to get out. six <laughs> yeah. form or
1: whatever. It's <laughs> you wear it around your head like a fucking bandana. Like your fucking Rambo or some shit. You know, you just have to find ways to make life interesting when you're in school.
0: Yeah. I don't understand school uniforms. Like, um, well, at least to the degree here. In America, they always sort of say, oh, it's because, uh, you know, the kids' shirts and stuff will be tucked in and they can't sneak in any hand cannons into the school to kill them. (laughs) I'm like, fair enough.
1: Fair enough. But you see, you've moved the problem over a little bit. If yeah. kids are bringing gun into... The- <laughs> maybe you go back a little bit and maybe you make it harder for kids to not get gun. But whatever, yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah, no, cool. no. Second Amendment. Second Amendment. This little kid should have the right to carry their firearms. Second they Amendment. They have the
1: right to protect their school, <laughs> like I have the right to protect my household.
0: If more children had firearms in schools, the schools would be safer. That's <laughs> so Donald Trump, his yeah. believers probably say. It's weird world of America. But school uniforms, I don't get because no, I I saw some parents and stuff uh, on I don't know, Facebook or something, and it was like some question like. Are school uniforms still essential? Like, some, like, Sky News or some bullshit, like, I don't know. And then, like, there was all these parents and stuff. It's just like, oh, I think they're great. Like, school kids shouldn't be allowed to wear whatever they want to wear to school. And it's just like, why? People are just kind of like, why? And then, like, have a reason. these people are just like, well, you know, because... It can stop bullying, because if everyone's dressed the huh. same, then no <laughs> one could, like, make fun of someone for not having the latest shoes or fashions or something. I'm like, dude, these are little kids. They're going to find, find a way to they'll find a way to bully your, your stupid hair? little kid. hair? Yeah, You're gonna do it. Yeah, anything. Yeah. Anything. What? <laughs> it doesn't
1: matter. You could be wearing anything. It doesn't yeah. matter. I They're don't, bully. look, with the uniform, I think it's just a way to police you outside of the building. And it's just, like, thing this hypocritical thing of like well you know we we dress you all the same because you're representing a school but yeah. now you're representing a school on the fucking bus ride home and so if you act like shit it's going to come back to the school whereas if you wore your own clothes nobody would know where you went and nobody would give a fuck and I don't appreciate the connection to the Hitler Youth Program. That's really where school uniform came <laughs> from, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. why are we ignoring this?
0: I mean, I I wouldn't be able to trace back any child back to whatever school they're at. They all look exactly the same. They're, they're
1: but they got their patch, arms. bro. They got their logo. They got their steel well, the coat of arms.
0: By the time they throw a chicken bone at my head and <laughs> run off the bus, uh, I'm not going to have time to see their small little school patch and read what it says. (laughs) Uh, Why are we talking about school? Well, it's week three of our new arc pitting the films of directors, (laughs) Wes Anderson versus Paul Thomas Anderson. Definitely not Paul W.S. Anderson. Please guys, drop it. Stop it. it. Just drop it. It's not happening.
1: (laughs) Inspired
0: by each director's summer seasons at the Prince Charles cinema. Like for real, Paul W.S. Anderson's films just aren't playing. And that's why we're not talking about them. So yeah. If you, you ask me again, Paul W.S. Anderson, what about him? I'm just going to be like, what about him? What about, him? what about him? What about him? It's Anderson versus Anderson. As you can see,
1: we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr.
0: Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. Mr. Mister <inaudible> <Mister> Anderson. <inaudible> Mr. <Birnam�us. inaudible> Anderson. Mister <Called oldown> Anderson, wait for it, wait for it. Anderson, Mr. Anderson, welcome back,
1: Mr. Anderson. God, I love that theme.
0: <laughs> Last week on Anderson versus Anderson, Phil and I got into the gritty world of 70s porn with Paul Collins It Thomas got hot Anderson's and heavy. It's particularly sweaty episode. The- feature boogie nights. Yeah, it was way hotter. I feel a little bit cooler right now. This uh. Got a nice breeze coming in. It was yeah, hot yeah. and sweaty. Phil and I got a bit like, you know, heated at times. No, we did. Not really. But it was not kind really. of funny. It was it was funny jumping into the world of uh Paul Thomas Anderson. Um <laughs> still not sure, guys. We're gonna find out. <laughs> still not sure. Still, still love them. Sure. will love them, yeah. but I'm not sure. It's okay though. But this week we bounce back to the king of Twee, the one and only. Wes Anderson and find ourselves enrolled at a prestigious prep academy we tackle young love class division friendship and growing up (coughs) And what film? film? Russian one school day school day (laughs) these are the names that define our world
1: The artists who shaped our minds, the rebels who challenged our views. But of all these legends, there is one that
0: stands above all others. I'm sorry, did someone say my name? (laughs) What's the secret, Max? The secret? I think you just gotta find something you love to do
1: and then do it for the rest of your life. For me, it's going to Rushmore. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. Did you invite that kid to your party? Max Fisher. Come on, Dad, there's gonna be girls there. I'd rather die. Pull your head out of here.
0: Maybe I'm spending too much of my time starting up clubs and putting on plays. It's time, homie.
1: Kiss me, little one. Rushmore. I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These
0: are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? Max Fisher, the debut film of, you know, uh, Jason Schwartzman. Hey, hey. The son of a local barber, Seymour Cassell, is attending the exclusive Rushmore Academy prep school on scholarship. With his bushy eyebrows and thick glasses, Max loves his school beyond reason and is Rushmore's number one go-getter. Here are just a few of the clubs (laughs) he belongs to. Max Uh. is the publisher of the school paper, president of the French club, president of the Calligraphy Club, co-founder of the Kite Flying Society, captain of the fencing team, yellow belt in the Kung Fu Club, vice president mm-hmm. of the Stamp and Coin F- Club, founder of the Trap and Skeet Club, president <laughs> of the Rushmore Beekeepers, and director of Max Fisher Players. That's my favorite. <laughs> and by God, Max saved Latin. What did you ever do? Max befriends, <laughs> befriends and finds mentorship from the local millionaire Herman Bloom, played by Bill Murray. And falls in love with the sweet, widowed first grade teacher, Miss Cross, played by Olivia Williams. But with all of his extracurricular activities getting in the way, Max finds himself expelled from his beloved Rushmore and is forced to enroll at public school. To make matters worse, Max discovers his mentor, Mr. Bloom, is also in love with Miss Cross, causing a rift in their friendship. Not roh <laughs> It's... The 1998 quirky coming-of-age comedy from director Wes Anderson and co-written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. It's Rushmore. Phil, hot takes out the gate. Rushmore.
1: Well, firstly, welcome to the club, Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman. I yes. imagine you'll be here a while. Mm-hmm. Um, this, fe- this feels like the first Wes Anderson movie. Just it really Everybody's yeah. there. The Wilsons <laughs> are there.
0: Yeah,
1: Everybody's there. Um, Rushmore. Rushmore's good. He said hesitantly.
0: Yeah. Well, you rewatched this. like You you said that you had only seen it that once, right?
1: And I wasn't big on it. And it was better than I remember watching it back. It's, I have the same like issue with it, where it's like, it's a lovely little story. And my God, Jason Schwartzman is great. I can't <laughs> believe this isn't his first movie.
0: Kicks ass. It's
1: like, I think you're there for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just naturally... It with the story and the characters, I find inherently sort of unlikable, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and I think yeah. that's a big stickler for me when when watching Rushmore. It's just like, oh, but fuck these like preppy assholes! It's like, but it it go it's a testament to the enduring charm of Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray. I mean, Bill Murray is playing the classic Bill Murray character, starting his shift into more dramedy work.
0: Yes. Yeah, before
1: yeah. lost in translation and stuff. Yeah. But he does that sort of quiet, nihilistic, dry wit, you know, thing. <laughs> That's like a thing. Yeah. He does that really well here, where he just sort of sad and walking around and <laughs> being funny without trying, you know? It's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. You know, the bits I remember are Bill Murray, like Bill Murray on the diving board looking up, <laughs> smoking. And then Doing a, a pretty decent cannonball. Yeah. I thought he was going to do a Kevin Bacon style belly flop, but oh
0: man,
1: it was uh, it was decent. It was more of a Macaulay Culkin cannonball.
0: Yeah,
1: um, but it's good. Rushmore's good, and it, I like I like the story. I love the idea. Again, it reminded me of our conversations of like with Bottle Rocket. You know, Wes Anderson just makes excellent movies about losers, and Meg <laughs> Fisher is a fucking <laughs> yeah. loser and doesn't yeah. know it. Yeah. And it's like you know he fills his time with all these extracurricular activities, but sucks at school. And it's like, but it's like he's smart in a way he doesn't realize yet. And I love the idea of the, like the only thing he is good at in Rushmore, and so he like fights desperately to save it. And then like him slowly losing that, he finds another fixation. and then that forces him to go to war with his, the whole with his his only friend, an older guy, <laughs> and then the whole thing becomes like a at this meditation on revenge and ends with this big like vietnam style ending
0: yeah
1: so i really like those bits and it i mean everything else is kicked up a gear the i think it looks great it looks better than ball rock it's more assured and confident the soundtrack fucking slaps again yeah and i forgot how nice the ending was
0: like yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. that's
1: a throwaway yeah. comment but like watching it like oh then really nice and fucking the face is playing and i read a quote from martin scorsese specifically outlining that bit and i can understand why like it really stays with you but i like it i like it i don't know if it's up there for me rushmore but it's a very like we were saying before recording very easy watch coming down off of boogie nights you know, PTA stuff is always going to be more intense and it's always going to be a bit of a relief to jump into a West movie because they're just yeah. easy to watch. Yeah, They're yeah, easy yeah. to throw on, they wash over you and they're, they're fine. So Rushmore is, is a good time. It's, yeah. it's, be- it's better. It, you know, it's, it's a marked improvement from Bottle Rocket. And he, for me, he's not quite there yet, but he, he's literally right. He's on the cusp.
0: Yeah. I kind of feel the same. Yeah, because it's like, this film feels so much like a stepping stone, like into. Mm-hmm. It, it's weird. Like I, I feel like both of these guys, you're gonna get to their third film, and by that point, that's where they <sighs> figured yeah. it out. It's also weird that, like you mentioned, the music. The music's really, really good in this film. Really awesome songs, and we'll get to the music later. But it's also kind of interesting how it's used a lot more in this film it, to a degree where it's almost almost nonstop like the way boogie nights was and it's to a point almost kind of a negative because it's like they're learning from each other playing every two seconds
1: <laughs> <laughs> and i like but, these songs but god damn yeah so I'd like to hear it, the dialogue. I,
0: I will i will uh i will be fair but i like you said man these films are just so good man they're just so <laughs> fun like they're fun and easy to watch man like i i really like early west anderson stuff i'm liking mm. where we're at in his arc right now and it's only going to get better with the next three films i feel like and there's just like really really good pieces of cinema and then then it just yeah we know that eventually he's gonna switch into that like more ensemble piece where it's just like style 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 yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. like
1: i'm gonna be yeah. missing stuff like this yeah by the time we get there.
0: But like where we're at right now, like I said, it's a it feels like a stepping stone for what's coming next with uh, Rushmore. You got so much like little things like uh, that just like this film feels like almost like a spiritual predecessor to Life Aquatic because there's so many and also Royal Tenenbaums, Mm -hmm. both of them kind of it's like it's almost like it like parts of the story split like. You know, one goes towards more of, like, what you see in the Royal Tenenbaums. And then you've got the whole, like, Jacques Cousteau sort of um vibe going on. Mm. And, like, you know, Max with the the deep-sea diving underwater, exploring <laughs> Jacques <laughs> Cousteau, book, whatever it is. And that just kind of gets so fleshed out in Life Aquatic and becomes exactly, like, everything that Steve Zissou is sort of obsessed with and, like, his whole story is based upon. So it's kind of, like, a nice, like... uh predecessor to that story because you know those films are going to quickly come and you like you said you get like bill murray coming in and he's like literally i think like what were the films he did prior to this i mean it was like the man yeah, he did space jam the man who knew too too little little. uh there was quite a few little string of films he was doing uh a lot of these are great but they're like they were kind of considered like, oh man, like Bill Murray's fallen off because it was. They're like,
1: really hitting myth. Looking at his yeah. filmography around the late night, early 2000s. thousand, you're yeah. like, what? And he keeps doing it because it's like you do Lost in Translation and Royal Tenenbaums and shit. But then it's like
0: Osmosis Jones. <laughs> you did Osmosis Jones
1: <laughs> and like Garfield. Yeah, yeah. yeah both yeah. of them. Two Garfield movies in between like Life Aquatic and Die yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, what do you do? Like, pick you're like you're really good at one and the other thing feels like you're plumbing it.
0: Yeah, and also like Charlie's Angels and stuff, like that's uh, like some interesting things. Yeah. Which are like really fun roles. Uh, the thing is, he's always really fun and great in the films. It's just like always. the films are always kind of hit and miss. And when you think of something like Kingpin, like I absolutely oh, love Kingpin. I, I think adore it's Kingpin, great. I'll defend it all day. It's underrated as hell. But it was not a hit when it came out. It was a flop. Like, people did not like that film. (laughs) It's more of a cult film. Um, So it's kind of funny. He was kind of coming in a weird place where he had done, like, Groundhog Day. And he was like, that was career high. Like, we've praised, like, peak, like, Bill Murray. But then, like, he just sort of fallen off, like, for a couple years. And it's sort of like, all right, well, where is he going? And then he finds Wes Anderson. And it just, like, completely turns... It's kind around. of beautiful,
1: yeah. You find what Anderson and Sophia couple, and it's like it's like him discovering himself again, or a different part of himself. I think it's yeah. there. I think he's riffing off himself mm-hmm. a lot. I think he always had, but like you know, it's a mark. You know, he's significantly older between the two his stages of his career, and they're markedly different. I always see them as two different people. I don't like when I see Bill Murray and like Rushmore and stuff and Moonrise. You're subconsciously, you're bringing all that, like the early stuff with you, but I don't see him as the same guy from Ghostbusters and Stripes and, you know, fucking Caddyshack. (laughs) You know, like I just don't, I can't connect the two, even though they are the same person. Well, I guess one is more just heavily restrained and just sadder, I guess. I feel like the sadness, I think that's always, that's always been there. I think he finally got to let it out Mm -hmm. in like the the 2000s, his run.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's kind of what I meant by this feels like a, like Rushmore feels like a bit of a spiritual predecessor to like Life Aquatic, like the, what you get the, I mean, you get some sadness, like some really deep sadness there with Steve Zissou, but really like the sadness really plays through like, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like with the Royal Tenenbaums. And that's kind of what I was saying there. Like half of this film sort of feels like it kind of goes that way, especially when you're thinking of, like, the... Because, you know, there is some, like, class division in this film. And, then, like, you have that upper class sort of vibe that just sort of gets pushed into Royal bums. Like, yeah. it's just, like, strong there with, yeah. like, these rich-ass people and this, like, successful family that's just, like, seem- seemingly perfect, but then obviously has everything going wrong on wrong it, inside
1: it permeates uh, a lot of it. work like even yeah they're they're fairly well I don't know if they're well I think they're wealthy but like a dysfunctional family a group yeah. of brotherhood family are just fucking falling apart and they have yeah. to go to a faraway land to like rediscover their kinship and that's yeah I think all of its film kind of boiled down to like a broken family dynamic just like Boogie Nights was doing
0: Yeah absolutely and I I think that's like again harping on like last week's discussion where we were kind of like talking about Paul Thomas Anderson and his past and stuff and kind of making fun of or like you know you know just being real about some of the stuff he's done in his past and kind of like you know and also talking about how these films from these two guys like aren't going to be for everyone and I can see how people would I don't know like Wes Anderson it's really you know it's no I don't know a lot of people don't want to think about rich people and, like, like you yeah. know, you kind of, like, you kind of get into that mindset sometimes where you're just like, oh, man, these, like, stupid rich people, who gives a shit? Like, you know, and that's largely what his stories are about, like, sort of, mm. like, uh I never played or, for that. Yeah, yeah, it is. And th- there's a really good quote from Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, like, where he said he he went into drug treatment, uh, or it was – Yeah. Cause he, yeah, it was drug treatment, I guess. And he was, he was in treatment and everything. And, um, he was sitting there and he felt like, oh, well, I'm like, you know, middle-class, like upper middle-class, like successful musician and stuff. And I'm sitting here listening to all these people who are like, you know, have really serious problems and stuff. And like, I, um, just can't cope. And I'm like, I'm upset and I don't want to talk and I don't want to say anything. And some guy like said something to him, like how about, how come you don't ever say anything or how come you haven't said anything? And he's just like, I really feel like I can't, like I can't say anything. Cause like my problems just feel so minuscule to like everyone else. And mm-hmm. the guy said to him, like, you know, like everybody suffers, you know, and everybody goes through things. And it's like, and that's like, you know, a good way to look at it. Cause like, I know yeah. everyone has problems and it's like, it's hard to like, it's hard sometimes when to stay the world that it's in to like really separate yourself from like the way you see like people who are in power and rich and, you know, wealthy and like the class divisions and stuff to really like, feel like for fuck's sake like these people fuck them I don't care about their problems <laughs> but at the same time you know like everybody does have problems and like you know yeah. I think that's Wes Anderson's like the key to his works really is just kind of like you know telling those stories of like a like a dysfunctional families of like of coming obviously from sort of wealthy background because I would assume that's kind of where he's come from just yeah, based on same
1: thing with like Noah Bowenbeck of Ingmar Bergman back in the day it's yeah. the thing, they're the, the place for yeah the melancholy of the middle class, right? Yeah. As long as everyone's not making that movie, it's cool. And that's what the thing. That's what you're going there for. It's like, yeah, you yeah. know, you go to Tarantino for unabashed violent And feet. And feet, <laughs> obviously. And it's yeah. the same thing. And he's good at it. So.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it feels like Paul Thomas Anderson definitely kind of toes that line as well. It's like a lot of dysfunctional family amongst like middle class white people, you know, so it's like... <laughs> yeah it is what it is yeah right now i mean we'll i, I got some bits at the end i kind of want us to kind of touch on as we go along kind of maybe ranking um where we're at and how we feel about so the films so far and then where we're going and uh but I, I you know i will say that like so far i'm kind of just feeling like it, it's more fun and enjoyable to watch these wes Anderson films and i the jury's still out with me on paul thomas anderson and that's kind of been the whole kind of um idea behind this anyway like i said last week i want to see where i'm at on pta's films uh but it, you know it would be kind of fun to see more so the later like towards the end of this experiment of anderson mm. versus anderson where we're at and you know my feelings because they're gonna there's gonna be a there's gonna be a big switch I think towards the end. Unless if I somehow, for some reason, really like the Grand Budapest Hotel this time
1: around, <laughs> but <laughs> that wasn't as big of a Oh, ride. I doubt that,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, even though Wes Anderson's debut feature Bottle Rocket was a bust at the box office, he managed to gain some fans inside the studio system, and they will champion his follow-up, which was called Rushmore. The project was initially set up at New Line Cinema, where it languished for a while before the studio decided they just didn't really want to go through with it undeterred Wes Anderson and producer Barry Mendel put the rights up on auction and they sold it to Disney where it was distributed via their touchstone pictures label. So this is why you can go to Disney plus, and you can find quite a few Wes Anderson films cause he kind of created this nice little, uh, nice little relationship there, you know, touchstone yeah. pictures and stuff for this film. And then quite a few of the later films are on there as well. So that's kind of nice. You can't find PTA's films there.
1: They're harder to find. Yeah. Not a Disney plot. They're not a very Disney-friendly filmmaker. <laughs> yeah, not at all.
0: Well, the idea for Rushmore stemmed from long before Bottle Rocket came to fruition as Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson hashed out the story and began writing the screenplay years before Bottle Rocket even came out. Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson wanted to create their own slightly heightened reality and envisioned this film as a basically Roll doll book come to life. Which That's pretty good. Oh is, my god, that needs a, to happen. That's essentially his his aesthetic, isn't it? Uh, yeah, right? how the
1: fuck hadn't he made a roll doll movie?
0: Well, he's still in fantastic Mr. Fox, but I mean Oh, like, that was
1: Roll doll. Yeah. wasn't it? Fuck. Do another one. Do a live action one, goddammit.
0: Yeah. The only thing is, Roll doll is.
1: Kind of also a, problematic.
0: Yeah, anti-Semite. So
1: people don't give a shit. Matilda needs to call it fucking <laughs> everywhere you go in yeah. London.
0: Matilda is an awesome movie too. I love
1: the De- but that's Danny movie. DeVito.
0: But that's all Danny DeVito. Yeah. I mean he literally stars in it, narrates it, directs it. Great. And he did it all just because he wanted to make something cool for his kids. And I kind of respect that. And he did. That movie yeah. bang. So yeah, it's that whole separating some interesting, fun stories away. I mean, because also Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is awesome.
1: Again, but you but, like it because Gene fucking Wilder. Wilder. Yeah. Not, not, not Timothy Rundle. Chalamet.
0: Yeah. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> what the fuck are they doing? I Hollywood is broken. Stop. 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 <laughs> Timothy Just Chalamet stop. is going to become my thin wolf soft. <laughs>
1: yeah. My God. Just like shove it down your throat. Timothy you.
0: chalamet Uh, (laughs) that's what I used to call kids I used to see on buses like I've said that on this podcast before but I would see some kids on a bus or something that looked like Timothy Chalamet but it was not him so it was Timothy Chalamet but maybe that's what I should call him every time they cast him in a movie I don't want (laughs) to (laughs) see we're going to have to
1: redirect (laughs) Reboot Moons for that (laughs) movie when it comes out
0: we still need to do Dune Dune oh Um, god I don't know that's uh, I can't face Dune. <laughs> so both Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson, like I said, they, I mean, they're, they're telling stories they know here. They are both students at different prep academies, which would serve as inspiration for this story. Owen Wilson, alongside his brothers Luke and Andrew, and I think Luke is the only one who graduated, attended St. Mark's School of Texas, where Owen Wilson was expelled in the 10th grade for stealing his geometry teacher's textbook and it contained so, all the answers, and he was forced to attend public school at Thomas Jefferson High School. So this mirrors like Max getting expelled from Rushmore and attending Glover- Grover Cleveland High School. Apparently, <laughs> apparently, like one of the main reasons he got expelled was because he like refused to name names on his co-conspirators. He's not a rat. Yeah, <laughs> but they. I read something sort of a, like a breakdown of a, like commentary track on this film and they joked that he actually did end up naming names (laughs) before he got expelled, but it was too late. Like fucking Tim (laughs) Allen, man. (laughs) He's like, no, no,
1: wait, I'll do it, I'll do it. Nope. I mean, it's a pretty good idea, just stealing the answers. Work work smarter, not harder, you know? Definitely. I'm not going to study. Right fucking there. (laughs) It's the same shit. You're essentially yeah. memorizing the answers.
0: Wes Anderson attended St. John's Prep Academy, where he would use the school's auditorium to stage his own plays. Action epics, similar to Max Fisher's, with the titles The Five Maseratis and The Battle of the Alamo. Also, like Max Fisher, <laughs> Anderson was in love with the, the much, Alamo, a much older woman at the time. Uh, so There's a lot of autobiographical elements to this uh, story here. When they were trying to find the perfect school for the film, Wes Anderson sent location scouts around US, Canada, and even as far as the United Kingdom to find the perfect fictional Rushmore. It really does look like something you find here in the UK. because, like, yeah, yeah, It's a really sure. old-looking school. But it wasn't until his mother sent him pictures of his old high school that he realized oh, all, shit. The, all the places that he imagined when he was writing the script were ones that he knew from his own school. So the film would end up being shot at St. John's and
1: perfect full circle
0: Grover Cleveland, uh, high school was actually just across the street. So it was actually like, pretty <laughs> funny. Like that's America in a nutshell, like the, uh, <laughs> the wrong side of the yeah. tracks, sort of vibe is like a yeah. real thing it's like you'd have if there were
1: actual train tracks <laughs> yeah,
0: there'd be actual train tracks yeah uh, for real. Yeah, yeah. And you'd have this like prestigious prep academy here and then on the other side it's just like it's supposedly inner city school i think he actually put a lot of money into like making that school look a lot worse than it actually was i don't think yeah, it was yeah, yeah. That bad. no it's not but, that bad Uh, And funny enough, I found this out funny enough. The school scenes in bottle rocket, where Anthony went to visit his uh, little sister, grace were actually filmed at St. Mark's where Owen Wilson was expelled.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That must be great. Just to roll in with a fucking film crew. like, look what I made of (laughs) myself. Fuck you for expelling me. (laughs) Please let me film here. (laughs) All
0: right. So let's get in the cast. We have Jason Schwartzman. In His debut role as Max Fisher, Holy the
1: adorable shit. Jason
0: Schwartzman. He really grew into his face, didn't he? Or is yeah, the God glasses? Damn. It's the glasses. Really, I can't tell if it's the glasses. I think it's the glass that throw you off. Or he just grows into his face, trims up his eyebrows, and then he grew a mustache. Like you know, it's like it's weird without the mustache yeah. or
1: the beard even. But the the mustache is how I know.
0: Yeah, I mean there um, are some early film roles where he and the he long doesn't. Hair. Yeah, he has longer hair and he doesn't have. Any facial hair? Like, I'm pretty sure I heart Huckabee's, he doesn't have any facial hair, but he looks mm. like himself. It's just, he looks so strange. How, how, it's really funny. how old is he? I think in, he's really in real life at that point. 17, I think. All right.
1: Could he be supposed to be playing like 15? Something yeah. like that. 15, 15. Yeah, yeah. It worked. He looked the part.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's so good in this film as well. He's really funny. Like you said, it's hard to believe it's his first film role, but I mean, he does come from. I mean, our pal Petros over there, Caged Impod, he's doing a couple of connections. He's yeah. going through that entire family. The it's insane. It's one of the biggest, best, you know, film families. Like, yeah, ever. He, he, it's insane. He's got it
1: in his blood, you know. Yeah. It's just like he probably grew up in it it's instinctual. But there's like little things in Rushmore that, like, I know little moments that like stood out. I was like, that's a hard thing to do. I think even at a more experienced actor. And I guess maybe because he's one of those actors who brings a lot of himself to the role and not saying... I say that as a compliment. I think that's a good thing. You know, that's how you know you like people. But, you know, that's not to say he plays himself in everything, but Jason Schwartzman is a type and he brings that to every role. He brings his distinct personality and that's what you watch him for. And that's already there. It's like, I guess, it's like Max Fisher is that turned up. to a sort of, you know, a little, I don't know. It's like this guy, it's like a little, he's eccentric. He's, I don't want to say uptight, but he is because he acts very cool and confident, but it's also very obsessive and neurotic when it comes to certain things. But there's moments where it's like he could just drop the act. There's moments in, in Rushmore where he seems very genuine. And then there's moment where he's clearly playing a part. And even just when you see him in his plays and he's clearly a bad actor in the movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's hard to do to make the distinction of like he, he's bad in his own plays. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. He's good outside of that. So he's just great. You like, know, you're a way. good
0: actor if you're good at being bad. Like, yeah, like playing bad actor. It's like that is. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. Because. Like sometimes people who are like not great actors come off better when they're supposed to fake act. It's kind of weird. It's like how come you can't do that? Like normally, uh, normally (laughs) you have no control. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. I've got like sort of something towards the end we'll go through, um, which is is pretty entertaining and interesting, and it becomes something I think I want to try to trace throughout the rest of this series if I can, if you know, if it's there. It's a, you know, trademark of sorts for Wes Anderson. And it explains a lot of like Max, Max Fisher's character. And once I go through it, I think you'll understand a little bit more. The idea of Max Fisher though. I mean, like originally Wes Anderson envisioned the character to be like a younger Mick Mick Jagger type character. He wanted him to be foreign. (coughs) He wanted him to be like a British exchange student and he envisioned it being played like an actor like noah noah taylor who was in this australian film called flirting and you might know him as the father in submarine oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so that's him obviously older but Mm -hmm. he envisioned him being like that character from that film flirting and um so he wanted him to be like sort of this I mean he's it's still there, but he envisioned him being more of like, you know, this flamboyant coming in, like Debonero, you know, just yeah. being completely sort of like different from everyone else because he's like an outsider.
1: But he thought just became a young with <laughs> Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Max Fisher. Yeah. You know?
0: Well, some eighteen hundred teenagers from the US, Canada, and Britain went out for the role of Max Fisher before finding Jason Schwartzman. And Wes Anderson actually like nearly considered not making the film because they struggled to find a Max. Like, he just couldn't oh, find anyone.
1: You need to get that. You need to nail that role. Otherwise, it's not going to work.
0: Yeah. And in October 1997, approximately a month before principal photography was to begin, <laughs> a casting director for the film met Jason Schwartzman at age 17 at a party, thanks to Schwartzman's cousin, filmmaker Sofia Coppola. He came to his audition apparently wearing a prep school blazer and a rushmore patch that he made himself.
1: That's adorable. And
0: when they when they met Jason, like it was just like perfect. He was just like, we hit it off. He was perfect yeah. for the role. Even though he envisioned this uh, you know, Mick Jagger-esque type character, Jason Schwarzman actually reminded Wes Anderson of Dustin Hoffman and he decided he wanted to go that way with the character.
1: That's a good catch. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely a, a likeness there with Ian yeah. and Dustin Hoffman. Like,
0: especially when you think of like the, the graduate, graduate. Yeah,
1: that's definitely what yeah. he's playing off.
0: And together they would spend weeks talking about like tweaking the character down to like his hand gestures and his body language and everything. So <laughs> this is kind of funny. It, it was also suggested to Jason Schwartzman that he should like wax his chest because <laughs> <laughs> Max should be hairless, and. Uh, It's funny because it just doesn't even really like pay off at all. Like, it that wouldn't matter. The only time it would ever like matter is you barely get a glimpse of him in the wrestling scene, which is (laughs) such a funny fucking scene as well. I love he's just like (laughs) there, he's there, like talking to. Herman Bloom. Bloom's there only shit? because his stupid kids are on the team and stuff. And yeah. they're like wrestling each other and arguing with each other. And he's just like, he cannot give fuck. Like he doesn't care.
1: <laughs> Can't tell the difference and anymore.
0: <laughs> he he finds Max to be this sort of like interesting character that he wants to talk to because he's like a young, um, upstart sort of character, like this, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. sure of himself, but he's he's a bit of like a, a con man as well, Max Fisher. You know, he's like, he's very good at like, I don't know.
1: Yeah. portraying like you know portraying himself in a certain
0: way yeah he's almost like a sociopath in a way because i mean he really that's is what i mean is, i mean yeah. he could, he, he, can... could have he
1: could sit there and he's going to tell you all his list of achievements but he's not yeah. going to tell you that he's flunking out of school
0: yeah you know and then he's just...
1: surprised when bloom hit that
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah and then he just like he's like oh yeah i'm an alternate um on the wrestling team and just so strips funny. down is so good. It just gets pinned immediately in this really hardcore. Like that guy just like whips him over <laughs> with, like a headlock, sort of like takeover. Takeover. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this was kind of funny. And there's a shot when Max saves Latin. He's got his petition and everything because by this point he's you know he he's he meets rosemary and he's just like in love with her and he just thinks like oh well she thinks latin's important it's a romance language so i think latin's important even though exactly. he earlier had previously said like like i have been trying to get rid of latin for years <laughs> like that's <laughs> what i mean <laughs> like it's a I'm dead like dude it's
1: d- 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 full of shit like yeah. i can't like buy into him at all yeah. and he's hard to like because of that yeah. <laughs> like he's just changing on a dime yeah.
0: It's so funny. But yeah, he funny. he uh, saves Latin and he's got his petition and everything. And there's actually the names of, uh, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, and I don't remember what episode it was and why I mentioned it. It could have been down to like a song was on a soundtrack. I don't remember. But uh, Jason Schwartzman's bandmates from Phantom Planet, their names are listed. Alex Greenwald, Jax uh, Brotbar, Sam Far, and Darren Robinson. They're, and the band's manager dan field they can all be seen on the left column that's cool that's cool (laughs) yeah i guess he was yeah doing phantom planet all the way back then i think he had started that band around 97 98 i'm not really sure he used to be the drummer and he was like one of the main songwriters as well which is pretty (laughs) badass like the the badass early phantom planet songs like california and shit like he wrote yeah like he and you can hear it too because he's got his own uh, he, he started his own band, or his Coconut Records. Basically, it's just him recording yeah, everything. Yeah. And it's just like you can tell how much he added to Phantom Planet. And after he I left, like that. that band's music actually wasn't nearly as good. So pretty good yeah, little song. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Bill Murray, Herman Bloom. So Bill Murray's agent was a big fan of Bottle Rocket, and he urged Bill Murray to read the script for Rushmore. And Murray was really keen on the film after he read the script and he spoke with Wes Anderson. And Wes Anderson asked him if he had seen Bottle Rocket. And (laughs) Bill Murray said that he had been sent a tape, but he lost it and he was being sent another. And Wes Anderson was like, well, I'll send you another. So Bill Murray ended up with multiple copies of Bottle Rocket (laughs) and Wes Anderson later found out that he just did not want to actually see that movie (laughs) and he just wanted to be in Rushmore. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Apparently he wanted to be in Rushmore really badly that he considered doing it for free and he apparently ended up working on scale making only an estimated like $9,000 for his work on the film plus a piece of the film's profits that's pretty cool
1: that's pretty cool of him <laughs> yeah. i mean but is that weird type anyway i don't know how much money really mean to him and like
0: yeah
1: it's weird how he gets job. is it true He like doesn't have an agent or something it's yeah like, you he, have to know him you have to like get a number and yeah
0: there's like a 1 800 number he has apparently <laughs> and if you manage to find it he there's a good chance he'll do your your film <laughs> if, he if manage you manage to track far. him down uh, and and if it's good enough, like I'm sure he's not. Okay. If someone gets his number and it's complete trash, like I'm sure he's not going to do it. But I mean, it's pretty interesting. He yeah, he doesn't have an agent. He kind of does it all himself. I love that. I yeah, think I that's, think that's badass. Cool. I'd rather do that myself. Yeah. yeah, it's very interesting. Um, you you know the film opens with that like hilarious speech that Herman Bloom is giving, <laughs> like. <laughs> such like a shitty snobby sounding speech it's really funny but then he goes into the whole like but then you other kids you know take them down <laughs> like you know like you know it's like and it fires max fisher up just so it's sort of like taking down like the elite and everything it's like really funny um apparently that was inspired by an actual speech that uh robert wilson the father of owen luke and andrew wilson gave one day <laughs> so They just really? like, basically nicked it and put it in. <laughs> That's funny. And Bill Murray actually genuinely found Keith and Ronnie McCauley, who play his sons Ronnie and Donnie, annoying. Much like their own screen characters. I could tell yeah. when he like grabbed the one face in the back of the car. <laughs> yeah. It looked real. <laughs> it was. Most of those uh interactions he had with them were improvised. <laughs> All the insults. Yeah, I'm stuff. sure
1: they enjoyed that. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> He also apparently just Jason Schwartzman at first as well but he grew to warm to him and they became pretty good friends after but you can imagine especially if Jason Schwartzman was just like in character like he probably probably would be pretty annoying like yeah. you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> definitely
0: well, on the first day of photography uh, Wes Anderson delivered his directions to Bill Murray apparently in like a hushed whisper so he was so all to be working with the actor, and Bill Murray actually ended up being really, really cool with Wes Anderson. And he would apparently haul equipment around, and uh, he just became like a yeah.
1: like part of the crew. Like yeah, a grip.
0: yeah, just a really good dude. And apparently, when Disney denied Wes Anderson like seventy five thousand dollars for a helicopter, like so, you know, in the revenge montage towards the one end, one of the best bits. Yeah, so good. You got the who's. Okay. Uh, a quick one while he's gone while he's gone uh, and the playing. slow motion him yeah. coming out of the fucking
1: <laughs> elevator you're waiting <laughs> yeah. for that shot again I mean he yeah. actually does a few slow motion shots here,
0: yeah yeah he does the ending yeah. it, but that
1: one him coming out like,
0: yeah I think the so gum good. on
1: the wall with the <laughs> bee cage. <laughs> it's great because they lift off all the things he's involved with yeah and you're waiting for them to pay off and not all of them do but that one paid off the, <laughs> like the beekeeper <laughs> yeah. fucking club yeah great it's
0: so funny At some point there was meant to be a helicopter and I don't know for what, um, Bill Murray wrote, uh, Wes Anderson, a blank check for this $75,000 helicopter that he was denied via Disney. Like Disney was not going to pay for it. So Bill Murray's like here, blank check, just gave it to Wes Anderson. And that scene never happened because Wes Anderson never cashed that check and he just held on to it as a memento. He was just like, that's just such a sweet gesture. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just kind of like. Surprising. That's just kind of how Bill Murray is. It's very interesting. The story, we've talked about it before. The stories of Bill Murray are just insane. They're really fun. And it's kind of funny, the stark difference to like last week when we were talking about Boogie Nights and Burt Reynolds versus Paul Thomas Anderson, how complete opposite those two (laughs) got on compared to Wes Anderson and Bill Murray. Because it's a very similar, like, idea.
1: idea, yeah. You
0: got this older actor who's well-respected who comes to work with this young director, roughly the same age, in the second film. And it's like their first big Hollywood production. And it's Mm. like, you know, this is a big thing for him to get this guy. And it's someone he wanted from the previous film as well. So it's like this big thing. And then she's complete opposites of how their interactions were on set and how like their futures, like, you know,
1: I mean, West found Mew muse yeah. with Bill Murray. Yeah. And, you know, PTA thought I found
0: another guy uh, who was I, like, I don't uh, want to be in another one of his films. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck this dude. <laughs> Fucking done. He just <laughs> keep
1: dropping people. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess he kind of found
1: it with Philip Baker. Hall. I know. I mean, yeah, he did. Philip and Baker Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, but they it more of a that more of an equal partnership. Yeah, because like people.
0: Yeah, because Philip Seymour Hoffman was also like he he kind of started to gain his popularity and stuff through or his respect through being in those films, and it was kind of early on. And Philip Baker Hall is sort of like. Yeah, because, I mean, he was in quite a few of those early films for Paul Thomas Anderson, but at the same time, it's hard to compare because he's, like, nowhere near on the same level. He's a respected actor, but, like, just was never top billing kind of actor, you know, like someone who's a forgotten
1: character actor.
0: Yeah, definitely. You know, it is interesting, though, how many parallels there are with that type of person, like a Bill Murray to, you know, like as we said, Bill Murray just becomes, like, his muse. Wes Anderson's views, and he's in every film from here on out.
1: Literally every film. I don't think he had not done one without him since.
0: Yeah. He just always yeah. appears in all of them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like a good luck charm at this point. Yeah.
0: Alright, well, next we have Olivia Williams as the lovely Rosemary Cross. Uh, and before we get into her, we have to remember because there was a very fun moment where Olivia Williams, Miss Rosemary Cross, is at her house, the Bill Murray as Herman Bloom just comes and knocks on the door to see how she's doing. And she is holding something in her hand. So we have to call a snack time. We hope it's all right. We know it's not over. But now we're having snack time to maintain status. It's snack time. Huh? snack time. Huh? But now we're time, having now. snack time. Huh? Seeing that I set that up, Phil, I will go first.
1: Yeah, please go first.
0: Miss Rosemary Cross opens up the door. She opens up the door. She's holding a plate. And she's just like, oh, I'm just having myself a snack. And Bill Murray goes, ah. oh, so you're having some carrot sticks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I've got some carrot sticks in honor of nice. Rosemary Cross. Nice. Pre crunchy. Made it myself.
1: I like, need some hummus, man. Need to I know, I do. Hummus. I need
0: some fucking hummus. I don't have any that's hummus. That's a meal. These are pretty good. I have an odd box. So you get some odd nice box? odd box. It's like you get...
1: I like nature bark.
0: Um, <laughs> You just get like fruits and vegetables from straight from the farms. Oh, that's nice. And they're like... It's just all, all things that are either surplus or odd shaped or something. So the supermarkets oh, won't take them. I got you, yeah. But these. Yeah, and there's carrots, nothing wrong with them. Carrots are really good. Most of the time, I, I was going to say all oh, this is going to be a bland, especially without hummus. But these actually taste pretty good. So that's good.
1: How are we going to do? What? Uh, what's your? Well, what do you rate them? What's what the rating? How many? Uh,
0: How many extracurricular activities? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they are just carrots.
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it's hard to give yeah. like a it, like. There's nothing wrong with them, but yeah. it's weird to give carrot stick five. Yeah. You know.
0: <laughs> then Need Thomas. And I will say, I I know it's kind of a bullshit snack, but nah. I feel like there's a lot of sexual it's tension that was built upon that plate of carrot sticks, and Bill Murray is. She's just like, "Oh, would you like one?" And he's like, oh, "Yeah," and he goes to eat one, and he's just like. Somebody <laughs> eats it. like Does a not Fucking it. animal. <laughs> <It's> so funny. sorry <laughs> right, Phil, what do you have?
1: <laughs> I went the other way. I ignored the obvious snack in the movie
0: mm-hmm.
1: and went, I was like, you know, Rushmore. What's that? Is there anything with like Russian title? More? Maybe something that's Moorish? No.
0: We're at
1: <laughs> school. We're talking school. And I wanted, and I am thinking school lunches, and I yeah. wanted to bring a school lunch staple. Here we go to the game. So I bought some Lunchables.
0: Oh, nice! Oh <laughs>
1: shit, Lunchables! I haven't had these. That's in really good. Years. yeah. Lunchables, and
0: are I thought great. that,
1: and I thought this could be interactive. Uh, Way I'm going to open it.
0: I kind of thought it'd be fun to do something like that, or like a um. Like a TV dinner because Max and his dad are TV always dinner. eating TV dinners.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I thought this would be fun. I'm gonna let you tell me what to do. Okay. So you can. T- I'll stack it according to what you think. I mean, it's just it's like uh, you know. Yeah,
0: you get your cracker. You got piece the of cracker, piece of cheese, right?
1: You, you got the ham and the cheese. So yeah, obviously I will start with the cracker at the yeah. bottom. All
0: right, you go. We get a cracker. We get the ham.
1: Get the ham. Fold the ham. or keep it. Circular.
0: Oh, circular. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Piece of cheese. Yeah. Cracker. Piece of (laughs) ham. Piece of cheese. Oh,
1: shit. We're going to do a club sandwich.
0: (laughs) And while you're you're at it, just do it one more time. Triple decker. (laughs) Are you
1: kidding me? Triple decker? All right. And then you're good. This is a terrible idea.
0: (laughs) 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 It's going to taste great, though.
1: Yeah, it is. for like, some wait, reason wait, that
0: wait. shit always tastes good. Yeah, there we go. Look at as big as my head. That, yeah, wait, they're I huge. It a I feel like in America the lunchables are way smaller.
1: Yeah, it just reminded me of that final tip bit where it's like, oh, but you keep folding it. And
0: <laughs> yeah, I just want to tap the apart. other night. It's so good. Go.
1: <laughs> okay, see if it even holds together. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, here we go. <laughs> That's really good Oh that takes me back Yeah Ooh, I mean I could go anything like a cheese string I mean a pepperoni would have been one
0: Yeah That was like so last week <laughs> I can't have pepperonis in my house anymore My cat will freak out <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I forgot that Stevie like freaked out over that
0: He was loving it all right. So how many extracurricular activities are you given? Um, um, it's a solid four. Nice. It's pretty good.
1: It's good. And I think the way you had me eat it would best. <laughs>
0: yeah. Go nuts.
1: Yeah. <laughs> how Just many, make it fucking huge. What
0: What? What would be your extracurricular activities or what did you take in school?
1: I was thinking that when, when we were watching it, I was like, I was not involved at all at school. I did not <laughs> want to be involved in school. Yeah. I remember... You know, I was part of the choir because everyone had to be part of the fucking choir. I was on the football team because they needed all of us to have a football team. (laughs) I think I played one game and then I quit. And I was like, I don't like this. I'm not fucking football. I don't like (laughs) this. Um, My only thing in high school was music. And I joined the school band. But then we turned that into our own band and just started playing pubs and shit. So, but we still got to like practice and record in the classrooms. Nice. So we were just, you know, on off periods or after school, that's what we would do. That's the only thing I did. I wouldn't, we didn't have like a debate team or like a math math club or I remember when I started uni, I wanted, I wanted to be that person. I wanted to be Mac Fisher. I wanted to throw myself in and get, be involved and meet people. And I signed up for loads of shit. I remember signing up for like the, uni radio station yeah i thought that would be a fun job and none of that and you, it was literally like you know i met the people at like open day or whatever or freshers and none of those people ever got back to me and i never pursued it
0: <laughs> yeah. did you ever you.
1: do anything i never did karate or anything like that. i wish yeah. i did could i feel like i don't have you know much experience into drawing yeah I Every, all my points of reference the from movie
0: A lot of the things I did, like I didn't really do in school, like um, similar to you, I did a band, but I did it outside school, and you know, I had numerous punk rock bands, psychedelic rock bands, like bluesy rock bands, numerous bands, but nothing dealt with school. I was I joined the art club one year, that was not fun, stupid. Like <laughs> didn't really do anything, and yeah, I was a part of my school's. Uh, literary arts magazine which I was design editor and executive editor on like my uh, junior and senior years so that was that was kind of a thing but that was a a class in itself so it's not like I had to do too much extracurricular stuff for it so it was pretty easy and yeah like I did karate but like that was outside of school and I did that like from 5 to 12 then I got bored and played baseball but by that point, I sucked to baseball because I spent <laughs> so many you, years doing karate that I didn't. Yeah, you missed was, those golden yeah, years. Yeah, I was so, I was so like out of touch. But I got my black belt in karate. Really? Yeah. Very but nice. I mean, that's it's like, took, took five years to do. It, and that's kind of like, kind of bullshit if you actually know anything <laughs> about karate. <laughs> so, mm. I don't It's like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Come on, just give him the black belt. He liked yeah. it.
0: Yeah. But, well, you know, it's American karate, so it's cool. I had a dickhead teacher. It was kind of like Rex Kwando esque. You know, so it kind of <laughs> Hello, my name is Jonathan Foster. I'm Arianna Nantiputri. And I'm
1: Phil Freyden,
0: And welcome to Franchise. The brand new film podcast.
1: Presented by the Breadcrumb Collective.
0: Join us as each season on Franchise will be taken on a different massive blockbusting movie franchise one film at a time as well as exploring some of the smaller and lesser-loved franchises as we try to wrap our heads around what makes a franchise good
1: or bad. Each season, you can expect ongoing film ranking to determine which film stood out or which was stinking. And while it's loads of trivia, actor beef, bonus side missions, and more,
0: All this comes to you from the 21st of June, 2021, as we start our engines for season one with the Fast Saga. It's the Fast and Furious movies. Find Franchise on your favorite podcast app and be sure to subscribe today so you never miss an episode. For the latest updates and information, follow us at BreadcrumbsPod on Twitter and Instagram or visit BreadcrumbsCollective.com.
1: Now the only thing left to do is to...
0: Get franchised. Yeah, Max, Fischer, Max Fisher, he has his, his crush on Olivia Williams, uh, Rosemary Cross. There's a few times with their relationship where it's just like, man, are they going to cross the line
1: here? <laughs> I always yeah, oh, forget. Are they going to be like a Harold and Morgue situation? Yeah. <laughs> because they do play it up, especially, yeah. I mean, the ending, again, I keep harping on, but it's like that moment where she takes off in the and then like looks into a knife. Yeah. Again, She's not looking at him like that. It's like, it's a kind of a moment of sadness where she's sort of remembering her husband yeah, and seeing that in Max and give that, giving her some sort of hope, yeah. you know, it's like not in this kid, but like in the idea of loving again, I don't know, which she seemed she seemed very much like a, a, a type, a type of uh, love interest that was prevalent in this era of cinema. This, like, she, I know, she reminds me of uh, Emily Watson in Punch Drunk.
0: Yeah.
1: And she reminds me of Mini Driver in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, it just, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's very much a type that's like. Um, British? British, <laughs> like. Uh, <laughs> just, I don't know. Yeah, I know I what know. you're saying. What there is say,
0: something about the
1: type. it. Like, like yeah. very literate like, literary-minded, intelligent.
0: Yeah, and it's not just, like, uh, all about
1: good stuff. It's just a normal person,
0: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's a good show. She's really good in this film. I like the sort of way they go. You know, it's really funny, her and Herman kind of, like, having this weird-behind-Max's-back relationship that's just like, because they're adults, and they can do what they want to do, and Max (laughs) is just nosy, and, like, they don't want to hurt his feelings, but at the same time, it's like...
1: Fuck off your child. you're a
0: child, yeah. And, uh, you know, and they never cross the line and they play it really well, which is good because it gets so close a couple times. I think, like, back in the day, you could have gotten. I mean, even when this came out, you could have gotten away with it because it's 98 and no one gave a shit back then. But, like, <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's when you watch it now and you have that sort of in mind, you're just like, all right, please don't please cross don't. the line because it's kind of like, it <laughs> can kind of make it a bit weird and gross. And
1: it's like, it, it, Exactly. There's a yeah. line because, like, we all went to school, and I think it's common to like have a crush on a teacher.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. That's usually your first experience with emotions like that.
0: Yeah.
1: But you're seeing a kid take it too far, and you don't want to reward that kind of behavior on screen.
0: Absolutely. You're
1: going to give kids the wrong idea. And yeah. also, it tends to be the other way in real life, with teachers taking advantage of students. Yeah. So there, it, it would be a difficult thing to glamorize.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's also like, you know... There's that weird stigma of like the the, the child who gets preyed upon by a teacher. If it's a man, like doing it to a young girl, then it's disgusting. But if it's like a female teacher doing that to a young boy, then so many people nice. are like that's awesome, nice. And it's a southpaw like, joke, yeah, yeah. And it's that's <laughs> gross and that needs nice. to stop because it's like it's fucking predatory and it's horrible. And <laughs> it's great that she doesn't cross that line. She probably gets too familiar, and she even admits admits to it, and like hangs out with them too much and stuff. But again, yeah. like you said, it's like it's her being reminded of her dead husband, Edward Appleby, who if you you blink and you miss it. But it's actually Owen Wilson. There's a picture of him in the bedroom. I noticed. You can blink and miss, but they show his face. Um, yeah. So actually, noticed, all three of the Wilson brothers are technically they in are. this film. Um, yeah because Luke, Luke Wilson <laughs> Luke Wilson plays uh I Dr. like your outfit Peter Flynn is <laughs> Rosemary's yeah. friend from Harvard. he's a doctor uh mm. yeah and what is he wearing
1: <laughs> to this dinner? Oh scrub <laughs> oh <O-R>? are they he's <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't know we were going to dinner <laughs> that's a great bit.
0: Apparently, that was actually suggested by Luke Wilson, which makes me respect him and love him even more, because that's one of the best lines in this film. <laughs> like,
1: it is. Oh, are they? <laughs> I lo- yeah. And Magda just drunk and Bill Murray, like, cracking up.
0: Yeah. It's great. such a great line. It's so such fucking funny. Theme. Yeah, because like, Bill Murray was just, like, giving him, like, what, whiskey and or, or scotch and sodas or something like that? And, like, yeah. ordered him the scotch and soda, And he's like, 15, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so funny uh another great character is uh max's little friend Dirk calloway played by mason gamble do you did you know who this kid is no apart from this film i don't no, i don't have you seen the 1993 live action dennis the menace film not, his, I mean, yeah, it's confusing. The, the blonde kid, yeah. yeah, it's confusing because I know there's the Dennis the Menace here in the UK and there's Dennis the Menace in America, yeah, yeah, no, I know. The I think
1: movies. I've seen it. it, doesn't have like Walter Matthau, it's yeah, a fucking his, his Mr.
0: Wilson, yeah.
1: yeah. So he that played
0: movie. Dennis Mitchell, that the, really, <laughs> yeah. When I first saw this film, I, I was like, it. holy, shit. like, because I saw this probably, probably like. 2003, 2004. Like, I didn't see it like when it came out and stuff. It, like, I found it a few years later.
1: Um, yeah, me too.
0: And yeah, when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, that's the kid from Dennis the Menace. And <laughs> that movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and it almost didn't, it, like, that it almost caused him not to get this role because Wes Anderson was against him at first. And he was just like, I. I don't want people to see him and think Dennis the Menace and stuff. And Yeah, it's not
1: the movie we're yeah. going for here.
0: But when he met with him and he auditioned and everything, he was like actually he's kind of perfect for the part. And he's great in this film. I think he's great. Like I really like the character Dirk. It's like a really like it's a very Wes Anderson side character like, you know, he's just there. Max is like confidant and uh best friend and only friend really and uh kind of like his his assistant as well does everything for him and the Max is just like fucking him over. <laughs> 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 yeah. Like Owen Wilson refers to Dirk Calloway as sort of the conscious of the film. So it's kind of like funny. And that funny. Like, you know, he's just like telling people like, you know, like oh um, bang, his mom gave me a hand job in the backseat of her car. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's such a such a shitty thing to do. So
1: That's funny. funny. You're right. That is a thing that only exists in West Anderson movies. Yeah. Like everyone has this like little fucking confidant, this person that follows them around, yeah. does whatever they want while yeah, yeah.
0: they take advantage of them. Another thing no, I don't, don't get those in real life. I don't have the name of the kid, but there's that other kid. The kid. And I think you know that little skeleton kid. He's like mm-hmm. He's in every, like, every scene almost. He's just always there, <laughs> especially around Herman Bloom. It's just like, doesn't make sense. He's just always there. And I don't know what his name is, but it, it's a really funny role. Like, he's just this creepy little kid. Wes Anderson does kids really strange, and I don't understand how he does it. He makes them seem, like, you know, you were talking about last week, uh, like, about how he creates this, like, time that never existed or something, mm-hmm. like. And all the kids in his films always end up kind of looking like that. And you, this, you, it really starts with this movie, and it yeah. like it only gets stronger because like you can look at some of the kids at this in this film and stuff, and and then further in like Royal Tenenbaums because like uh, Ben Stiller's kids sort of like yeah. remind me of these kids. Uh, and then the Moonrise, Moonrise, kid it just kid. really oh man, really I
1: appreciate funny. that because I'm not a fan of kid in movies in general. Yeah. You know, it's very hard to get right and it I don't know, it feels like a, a cheap way to tug at your heart strength and they're made to be overly cute and but kids are far better used when they're a little more realistic.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: You know, and kinda of weird and kinda of gross. <laughs> like eighth grade does that really well, a recent one. Yeah. And just kind of normal. And mm-hmm. Rushmore does that, get to let them embellish in their own weirdness and he set up a world well, that's okay.
0: Yeah. He does kids right. And it's like, yeah. it's it's like, not like that. It's though. hard. Like, Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, not like that. Uh, Spielberg gets it right as well. You know, he, like, that's what I've always loved about. Yeah, Spielberg on the flip films. side. He can just yeah. like, fucking do a kids' film. Like, and it just works. Like, all the kids are believable. And it's just like, they're not like fake weirdos. You know, like, they're just like,
1: oh, such you know, a nerd.
0: Really, really real, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Um we have Sarah Tanaka as uh Max's new love interest Margaret Yang. Oh yeah. She apparently was attending Brown University when she was cast as Margaret Yang and those were her glasses that she was wearing um in the film and she took them off during an audition and apparently her eyes went cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> like Wes Anderson said, that was pretty much what it was that earned her the role. Like, he's just, like, just like, that's perfect. No doubt. Yeah, <laughs> uh, th- this is really funny. Apparently, Margaret Yang was supposed to have a wooden finger, having been blown off by like a science experiment. Because you know she's very much like the female Max Fisher. She's like really yeah. involved with things in her school, very but Patrick. she's the public school version. Like, she's just like. Yeah. The Fuck. girl
1: he's overlooking, yeah. yeah,
0: getting things great. fucked up and messing things up. She has this whole thing like, oh, I've, you know, like what is? She, I can't remember. It was like some space experiment that she was doing, but then it turned out that like she bullshit all the results and stuff. <laughs> like, it was all bullshit. It was great, but yeah, like so she was supposed to have this like wooden finger, and that idea was abandoned. But it would come in, in our fact, next film, Royal Tenenbaums. Bombs, because Margo has a wooden finger.
1: Largo, yeah. yeah. And that's, that's interesting. That's one of my favorite character traits Yeah, in Royal Tenenbaum.
0: Weird wooden finger just tapping against the bathtub. Just <laughs> I love that, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be, yeah. Yeah, better over there. I mean, it's part of what you were saying, like all these ideas, things he's interested in. If, if he doesn't use them here or starts to use them there, they're gonna really flesh out yeah. over the next few movies.
0: Definitely. Uh, Brian Cox plays Dr. Nelson Guggenheim, Rushmore's headmaster. Apparently, he was cast on the strength of his performance in Manhunter in 1986, because like Wes Anderson just loved him in Manhunter, and he thought he made oh, a great enough. Hannibal Lecter. So he's just like, ah, oh, yeah, get him in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be the dean. <laughs>
0: Uh, he's great, though. It's, he plays it really well. He's got a very yeah. Mr. Feeny type approach to... Uh, sorry, Feeny. I, I'm i <laughs> watching Feeny. You, you fucking talking about, like, last week we were talking about, uh, it, off-air, talking about Disney+, and I finally dived in and got Disney+, and I've been watching Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World is the <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's Still so the good. Shit. Such a good show. Yeah. Um, Andrew Wilson as the baseball coach, Coach Beck, so like I said, all the Wilson brothers are yeah, in this. Also, Eric Chase Anderson, Wes Anderson's brother, is in this. He plays another. Yeah, he plays the uh, <laughs> architect for the aquarium, and also <laughs> he does all the artwork. So I have the Criterion Collection, um, oh, really for Rushmore, and it's got the like Max Fisher on his uh his little <laughs> go kart, um, yeah, on the front, and it's like all the artwork for this edition was done by him. So pretty funny like little illustrations and stuff. That
1: fucking cool. Yeah. I love the cover.
0: Yeah. This like again the Criterion Collection stuff for these Wes Anderson films are great. There's like this really awesome map inside that has like all of like like uh all these bits it's like a map of Rushmore and like all the all the stuff was drawn by Wes Anderson's brother. That's yeah. so
1: cool. Yeah, it's like in the bottle rocket one. It comes with the seventy five year plan. Yeah, <laughs> it comes with that. <laughs> so cool. I love that. It's it's funny. Could Rushmore remind me, or at least just make me want to go back and replay Bully? Yes, like dude.
0: PS2. Remember that game? Mostly because of the kid. That was one of my next people, Stephen McCall. He plays Magnus Bucky. He fucking reminds me <laughs> so much of love the Jimmy. main character. Yeah. 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 That's such a good shot. Yeah, Bully. That's
1: a great game. But that's you fuck running around fucking up a prep school. Yeah. And it got all these clicks and stuff. But it's a great game. It's like GTA in a high school.
0: Yeah, very much that, And
1: yeah. it's funny just that the Criterion, like like a GTA, like a, that game comes out and then the map of the school.
0: <laughs> <Like>, so it's <laughs> yeah.
1: literally playing on that.
0: Yeah. That's good. That's a good shot. Uh, we had... Kumar again. Kumar Palana is Mr. Little Jeans. He plays sort of like the groundskeeper.
1: I love when he just drives past yeah. Bill Murray when he's fucking,
0: yeah. <laughs> fucking up in bike. Yeah. Far, far reduced role, but still equally impactful just because he's great. He's so funny. So
1: memorable, yeah.
0: We have his son, actually, Deepak Palana. He plays the teacher at the very beginning of the film, the in the fantasy scene. And I didn't realize last week because he was in he was in Bottle Rocket as well. He was the guy who was the uh, at the door when they come in to break into the bookstore. And he's the one that like lets them in. uh, Oh, yeah. Because they're saying, oh, I left something here. And he's like, oh, I left something (laughs) too. (laughs) It's it's so funny. (laughs) So, yeah, that's the same guy. And he's the guy who plays the teacher, the math teacher who's like, oh, solve this like impossible, you know, math problem. Okay, Yeah. Good shot. Um, also, like last sort of cast member here, we have funny enough, the film debut of Alexis Bladell, who's from Gilmore Girls fame. She can be seen <laughs> sitting uh, on the right of classroom, like in Grover Cleveland's classroom, like when Max goes to public school and he gets up to make his speech. And then she can also be seen in the audience of Heaven and Hell. So first <laughs> film role. Nice. All right. Here we go. I promise this. We're wrapping up here. All right. So there's a connection to something. And this kind of becomes like a trait for uh, Wes Anderson to do in, in some of his films. And I'll try to chart them as we go along. Uh, so for Max Fisher's character, this makes a lot more sense. There's a Peanuts connection. So Charlie Brown, Peanuts, Charles M. Schultz, comic yeah. strip, famous cartoons and all that. All right. So Max like Charlie Brown. He's always trying to please and to impress people. And he gets caught up in so many things at once that it usually just goes wrong for him. When he focuses on one thing, he usually succeeds. Like when he saves Latin to to impress Miss Cross, he succeeds because he just puts all of his efforts into that and he's not thinking about all these other things that he's trying to do at the same time. Yeah. And it's sort of like when Charlie Brown tries to impress the little girl with the red hair by flying a kite. When he just focuses on it and he just tries and puts everything into it, he does it and he's successful. And then also you can see the kite flying, which is a nod to Charlie Brown. Like Max is flying a kite. Max yeah. is also seen wearing a winter cap and he's holding a small plant. This is like after everything's sort of breaking down right before Mr. Bloom, I think, comes to to make up with him and they, they uh, plot to like you know, get him back with Rosemary. And uh, this is a nod to a Charlie Brown Christmas where, you know, like Charlie Brown has a pathetic little Christmas tree and he's wearing yeah. a hat that's very similar. And also when Herman Bloom comes to the, to the barbershop and Max finally introduces like Mr. Bloom to his actual father and he stops lying and he like makes things right. You can actually hear some music from, a charlie brown christmas like in the background <laughs> oh man
1: i fucking love that yeah
0: i've never i've i don't think i would have ever and i love charlie brown christmas special yeah fuck that's really sweet and charlie brown's father was a barber much like max's he was and charles schultz's father was a barber so it's all like these nods and everything to the peanuts. So and apparently that's so sweet. it's a bit of a trademark for Wes Anderson to do this. So I wanna to try to chart them as we go along. But this one's heavy. He, like, he references he referenced peanuts quite a lot. Yeah. Very down, heavy.
1: <laughs> Peanut. I love peanuts, that's so yeah. cool. Oh yeah, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna look for it.
0: For yeah, this, I'm gonna try to as well. I mean, but...
1: that seemed pretty um not obvious, but like pretty clear references and I wouldn't I guess it's been well, I watched it last year. Charlie Brown Christmas it's only been a few months actually. Yeah. I should have I should have called it um,
0: but they're like little nods there's things you because he tweaks here and there and you wouldn't really notice it unless you kind of know that yeah that's
1: sweet that tweet that's essentially a remake of Charlie Brown Christmas
0: <laughs> yeah I love I love it so let's get into the music like we said it's a step up songs.
1: but you're right it's, it's, it's busy uh, it's, it's busy, busy. it's, it's, it's uh, overbearing <laughs> yeah. But it's a great fucking sound. Yeah. I just forgot. I completely forgot about all the music and it's a shame. Yeah. It's, it's, it's as if like he only started using music in Royal Tenenbaum. You know, it's like they were always there and he had to, you know, he, he likes fucking 16th British Invasion shit. You know, Very he much the yeah. Kinks and the Who and Rolling Stone, but they're fucking, oh, and Cat Stevens. Yeah. But it's always good. Like every drop is good. Yeah, like it's really good in this film. Really emphasizing the emotion of yeah. everything.
0: Well, we get Mark Mothersbaugh back again, providing the original score, and there's some really good, cool <laughs> little music. I mean, it's that quirky yeah. original score stuff that you come, and, yeah. and it's even more so in this one. It's like sort of similar to the stuff he was doing in Bottle Rocket, but even more so, like into that quirky world of Wes Anderson. And I think we have at least one or two more with him. Like, I, I know it does switch up at some point. I can't remember who starts doing some of like the later, the later stuff with uh. Wes Anderson, but I know you still have him for a little bit. But yeah, the, Wes Anderson actually originally intended the film soundtrack to be made up entirely by the King songs. And uh, he was feeling that it suited Max's loud and angry nature. You know, like I said earlier, he envisioned Max to be this British exchange student. So like, it would have worked. Yeah, yeah. it would have really worked. Um, but this evolved after he listened to a British invasion compilation. It ended up being only one kink song that remained, and that was Nothing in the World Can Stop Me Worrying About That Girl, which is a great song. Uh, and then, like, you, you got shit that, another song that sounds sort of like the kinks by The Creation. We have uh, Making Time, which is just such a sick song. Like That's a great song. just kicks in that, so man. hard. We already mentioned a quick one while he's away by The Who, which is a really, really sick song as well and we have oh yoko yeah, yeah, excellent taste yeah oh yeah. yoko, o yoko like by shot. john lennon
1: oh i, I really uh, like that song it's really sweet too. yeah
0: i'm waiting by the rolling stones and then like man like two awesome cast <laughs> songs the wind
1: the wind and that's what i'm thinking of
0: closes off the film with here comes my baby like dun,
1: dun, 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 dun. yeah so sick uh, yeah really good soundtrack
0: that. yeah uh, Rushmore, similar to Boogie Nights, had its premiere at TIFF on September the seventeenth, nineteen ninety-eight, and later at New York Film Festival uh, before being released in December of nineteen ninety-eight to cinemas. The film ended up grossing nineteen point one million dollars worldwide and was a much bigger hit than, uh, with audiences than Bottle Rocket. And yeah, thank God. Its budget, like its budget, was around like ten million ish. So. Yeah, it got around 19 worldwide, so it, you know, it sort of made its money back and it's all good and everything. It wasn't like this massive success and everything, but it was a much bigger success with audiences and critics. Uh, many critics held it as one of the best of the year. Lots of comparison to Harold and Maude. Uh, Janet Maslin of the New York Times, who I quoted last week, the Boogie Nights, so it's only fair. I see how she felt about this film. Is this going to be my new...
1: Um, <laughs> Roger Ebert. My new Roger
0: Hebert. We'll see.
1: Uh,
0: she wrote that Anderson is smart enough to avoid turning sentimental, observing how Max starts off at the top at Rush, uh, of the Rushmore world and experience- experiences a wonderfully welcome come up. I think that f- yeah. fits really well, especially with what you're saying. Do you feel like? I kind of hate these characters to of <laughs> snobby assholes, but like, it's, it's really, yeah, it's nice. It you are to win a winning really thing nice, they're down for. Yeah, it's a really nice, like, way to see Max grow as well and he gets his up and, Um, And it's a rare to see for a main character of a film because he is sort of supposed to be, like, likable, but also very much unlikable at the same time.
1: Yeah, he's so, not a hero, but does not not particularly heroic yeah.
0: character. Yeah, very much. Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray, Bill Murray in particular, got lots of praise for the film. And many many called it like a high point for Bill Murray's career and a good resurgence for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Rushmore ended up winning two Independent Spirit Awards, Wes Anderson nice. for Best Director and Bill Murray won for Best Supporting Actor. And Bill Murray was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes. So he was... Not, you know, it's not quite as high as like the the limits and reaches that like Boogie Nights got, like, f- you know, for a second film for Paul Thomas but Anderson, still, but still, you got like the second biggest American award show,
1: like, the record and at recognition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. And I, I've really, I'll probably post these out uh, in this coming week uh, around the time we're promoting this episode, but like, Did you you know there was the Max Fisher's Players present the MTV Movie Awards? Did you see that? (laughs) Have you ever seen any of that?
1: No, but the more we mention it, the more I miss the MTV Movie Awards. Yeah. They used to do so many fucking cool little skits like this.
0: Yeah, so this is is on the Criterion Collection Rushmore uh, set. It's really funny, man. It's like, so uh, they're adaptations of Armageddon, The Truman Show, And out of sight, and they're staged specifically for the 1999 MTV Movie Awards, and it's all done by the Max Fisher players, and I think Wes Anderson directed all those little shorts. And it's like they're like couple minutes long, if that. Like they're very short, but it's like it's as if Max is putting on plays, sort of like the Serpico play, (laughs) but like for Armageddon, The Truman Show, and Out of Sight, and they're all really funny, and they use a lot Uh, of the same actors from the film but obviously they're all a little bit older because this is done like a year later yeah. but like oh man it's so good like the, the truman show one's the best it's really really funny <laughs> Really, uh, funny. i'm gonna i'm gonna check that out yeah. that sounds funny all right well the only thing left to do here phil i want to get into our rankings so i want to
1: <laughs> i want us to go do you want to rank them together all right or so rank separately
0: this is how I think we should do it. We're two in right. for so both. So, when now. we get into like last, last, uh, well, sorry, with Bottle Rocket, we sort of basically were like, okay, we think that Bottle Rocket was a better first film than Heart yeah. Eight was. So, I thought it would be kind of fun if we do like a favorite second film. And then every time we get to the next, like it'll have to be the second episode uh, for each. So, it'll be like, all right, so we've gotten to our favorite. Third oh, film, favorite fourth film. So we'll go, we'll chart them as we go along. Um, it might get a bit oh, weird. It's actually
1: going to be difficult. Yeah.
0: It might get a bit weird as we go, you know, uh, like, cause yeah, we, we're we still trying to figure out what we're going to do with these stupid animated films that Wes Anderson's done. <laughs> <laughs> and Wes Anderson yeah. does have one extra film as well. So it's kind of like maybe we'll just.
1: We'll figure it out. We'll bunch them
0: together. I don't know. We'll see. But
1: I mean, at the very end, we can just rank them all. Yeah. And they see how they measure up against each other. Yeah. Like oh, they were better then. Yeah.
0: Better now. And also, I want us to do ongoing rankings for each director, like separately. So like, your favorite Wes Anderson film, like rankings, and
1: I'm gonna start like a like a like a note page on my computer and like, you know, like (laughs) on like a a table. Yeah. So I can, well, I've got
0: my notes as well, so I can write your rankings down. Okay. All right. So first let's do favorite second film. Uh, As you probably noticed that I have not been very negative about this film at all during (laughs) this episode. So I will have to say that I prefer Rushmore over Boogie Nights um, when it comes to the two directors. I, it's it's that sort of thing where I think we might have talked about this a couple of weeks ago where we know it's not like the best like Booking Nights probably is from a technical standpoint, a better movie and it achieved more, more money, higher degree of uh, acclaim. But mm. I know and I know it's like technically better, but I have more fun and enjoy Rushmore more. So I have to go with Rushmore.
1: Fair enough. They're different yeah. markers yeah. of quality, right? It's like not just a technical thing. Because even that, they're, they're doing different things. So they're hard to compare. Yeah. But yeah, commercial thing. that's just one marker. But like, yeah, just enjoyability, if that's a word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it's probably the biggest factor. But it's the better movie. I have to go with Boogie Night. Yeah, Boogie Night. I wrote that down more, already because I figured yeah. that's what you were
0: going to say. <laughs> I love Boogie <laughs> Night.
1: Boogie Knight just lines up more yeah. with my personality my way of looking at things things i'm interested in in movies in general rushmore is cool um but it's not yeah it just doesn't hit me like some of the other west ones maybe i find it harder to relate to rushmore to like max and stuff and, and i think the way you put it is perfect it's very much a stepping stone
0: yeah
1: it you can see him getting better mm-hmm. and that's the fascinating thing about it and it's obviously an enjoyable film in itself but yeah, I think Boogie Nights got there quicker. The wet is about to catch up
0: really quickly because I do really like it. Next it's going film going to be neck and neck. I think.
1: Ah, uh... Uh, yeah, I think on I think I'm <laughs> leaving it to the rewatch. Yeah, to be honest, um, which but it could go either way.
0: Yeah, like I'm 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 hoping I enjoy the results of a rewatch on Magnolia more than I enjoy the results of a rewatch on Boogie Nights. So mm. and it's going to be a tough one, too, because I've I've said this before and I think I I'll like even if I don't enjoy Magnolia, I know that I'm going to be like looking at it and just being like, wow, they like that third film. There was something about it for both of these guys. They hit something and that's where they found out what they're cooking with and all of their ingredients are there. And that's where they start to make their films. They're like, you know, yeah, that becomes synonymous with what they are. You know, mm-hmm. like you said last week, like Boogie Nights, everyone, like it's it's a film that like, you know, Joe Schmo might know on the yeah. street and they might not know Paul Thomas Anderson. But at the same time, they might like it, it. at the same time, it's not like the it's not the film that all the Paul Thomas Anderson fans are going to go to as being, I think, their top film. I yeah, think not would, my top. Yeah, film. I no, think it yeah. would go something a little bit later or maybe even a Magnolia. We'll see. I mean. All right, so I'll 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 take I'll take your rankings like this. We'll we'll do this for our rankings for the as we're going along. I've got 2 for West, you've got 1 for West, 1 for PTA, and that's how we'll do it, all right? Okay, that's not good. Uh, And I'll keep this ongoing and updated every time I'm doing these episodes. All right, and then ongoing rankings for each director. I'll go first. So, uh for Paul Thomas Anderson, I've got Boogie Nights is obviously my favorite and then heartache (laughs) is on the bottom so far and for wes anderson surprisingly i actually like bottle rocket more than rushmore on this rewatch i've always really loved rushmore i've always loved it um but there was something about my like recent rewatch of both of the films and i was just like Man, Bottle Rocket's really fun and it's underrated and it get, it doesn't get nearly enough love. And I think it's uh probably a more fun film, even though I know w- Wes Anderson's kind of figuring out his style and, and it's got there's so much to like about Rushmore. And, and there's nothing wrong with it by me putting it below Bottle Rocket. I just have so much love and fun. It will look Bottle better Rocket.
1: in contact once that more filmed than that, because I know it's technically at the bottom, but yeah. I'm totally with you. I would have the same exact ranking.
0: All right. So that makes it easy. Sweet. Yeah. Well, that's it. So, ladies and gentlemen, join us next week as we get a little bit more depressed. (laughs) There's a lot more characters and people to talk about. And yeah, Tom Cruise. Holy
1: shit. (laughs) And maybe his only good role? Let's find out.
0: (laughs) It is Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia. Magnolia. (laughs) (laughs) No dormias. I'm just thinking of like the fucking dancers from Donnie Darko. Exactly. Uh, Well, ladies and gentlemen, as always, you can find us at the PCC Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send us an email at podcast at princecharcinema.com, or you can head over to, hey, support us, support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash the PCC Podcast. As we stated last week, all these episodes come out early now for anybody who is a subscriber, subscriber on Patreon, that's from as low as $1 a month all the way up to, hey, you can a five dollar or more backer and you get bonus episodes on top of that and we've got a little fun bonus episode that will hopefully drop in the next couple of weeks and we've got some more stuff down the pipeline that we're working on uh links to malcolm our pal who is a patreon subscriber who's got a request episode that's going to be dropping hopefully in the next couple of months so thanks malcolm thank you for finally doing that because it's been a long time coming and yeah, support the podcast. Hey, go over to wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe, leave a rating, review, especially on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps our show out. Gets more eyes on us. Uh, you can find me at Tallfarrell T A L L, the number four A L L on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Phil, where can people find you?
1: You can find me at FarawayPad on Twitter and in real life. At work, at the Prince Charles, open and showing movie, including this one that we just talked about. Yeah. Doug and I met on the gram, and you know, yeah. Thank you for listening, rate and review, do all that. Come back next week, and you know, buy Lunchable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Definitely an ad. ad. Definitely an ad. <laughs> that whole thing with the Lunchable ad. Who the thunk? <laughs> Lunchable than Criterion. Yeah. Brought to you by the new Parchel Tinegaard.
0: <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, let us know what your rankings are. Ongoing at, you know, hit us up over the PCC podcast on Twitter or send us an email or Instagram. Whatever you want to do, let us know. Let us know what your rankings are. Ashley Anderson versus Anderson. Leave us your ratings. Um,
1: one will fall. One
0: will fall. <laughs> <laughs> one will survive, and they will ultimately have to face Paul W. S. Anderson because apparently a lot of people like him.
1: Yeah, Man. and that dude got guns on him, you know. Fucking like Mortal Kombat, than Evil, Monster Hunter. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe we'll do a bonus episode with uh. Yeah, we Paul probably WS. W. S. Anderson. Paul West Anderson. This is Fuck gonna it. like <laughs> this is literally gonna last until September. We're just plotting it out and looking at it and everything. So <laughs> yeah, we've got you're... plenty of time, guys. So you'll get a Paul W. S. Anderson when you get it. Maybe if he had an E in the middle of his middle name or whatever, you know, then we'd be be involved. Yeah. Yeah. W.S. Bullshit.
1: (laughs) 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 Shallanay.
0: Bye. Bye. This podcast is presented by the breadcrumbs collective home of the pod, Charles Cinecast caged in Coppola connections, a drip town limery, Maine franchised and many more to come.